Hello and welcome to another episode of Operation Limitless. This is the show where you hear directly from people who are in the top 1% in the world at what they do. We focus on how average people ended up achieving incredible triumphs through confidence, grit, determination, and a quest for personal mastery. The goal of this show is to uncover and share the commonalities of incredible human beings and build a model by which others can replicate a limited life. And as always, I have the team with us today, Sal Rosano, Mark Peterson, and Bill Schiffenauer, who's got a minor technical issue at the moment, but we're jumping on. And we have the honor of interviewing one of Sal's friends. And Sal's, I'm going to let you just go ahead and take it away, buddy, and, and do the intro. Right on. Well, it, it's an honor. Travis, um, I, I don't know if we can say we're friends yet. I hope he lets me in that circle. But um, this is a unique kind of experience for me because Travis, for me, is an employer when he needs he has different contracts coming up. And so the first time I met Travis is when he was giving a speech to all of us there on the job. And I was, I was taken back by one, his, his um, sincereness, his humility, and then also the message he was sending out. So I thought this guy's got to be on our podcast because he's got a hell of a message and everybody needs to hear it. Now, Travis has got three different scenarios that uh, I'll let him touch on what he wants, but he's a successful business owner, successful military uh, guy, and then also had a bout with some health issues that, again, his message, I mean, everybody needs to hear it. And I beg Travis to be on here. So I hope that works for you, Travis. Um, nothing but respect and just a short amount of time that I met you. So I appreciate you coming on. Um, and I'll let you kind of kind of describe who you are and what you want to describe, and, and we'll go from there. Yeah, I do do want to interject in Sal's defense and say he didn't beg me. He just <laughs> he flashed some Chick-fil-A coupons in front of me and the rest of <laughs> Well, so he does the same thing with you he does with the rest of us. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'm Italian. The food has to play a part in everything. Bro, you heard the you, you know the the book, The Five Love Languages, right? Yep. <laughs> There's yeah. an appendix written to that. The sixth love language was written specifically for me, food. Okay. <laughs> Fair enough. So we'll be dropping you some kind of food-based care package in the mail someday soon. <laughs> well, you got you got to try my homemade sauce there, Travis. It's unreal and untouchable. <laughs> so, Travis, with that, uh, with with that, this is going to be like the perfect segue, um, right? Because. My first question to you is, Travis, what did you eat for breakfast and why did you eat it? Uh, I made my wife some protein pancakes with fruit and organic honey syrup on top and uh, a big tall glass of orange juice. And probably because it was one of the quicker things I could whip up in light of my low energy levels this morning. <laughs> gotcha. I asked that question um, and I just chose that question for today because we're trying to identify the habits of the most highly effective people, the 1% in the world that uh, in what they do. Mm. And I think that people become into that upper tier because of the habits that they have every day, the things that they do. And so obviously choosing what you're going to have for breakfast is pivotal to the rest of your success. So I asked that question to see, you know, and I asked you why, and your answer was because it was the quickest thing you could do. So what else do you have planned today that you needed that breakfast to be fast? Well, unfortunately, my, my wife and I are 
moving into week 11 of having our house remodeled, we have not gone a day without contractors and pushing <laughs> weeks now, uh, crawling on our property, including today. So I just wanted to get some calories in and uh, get over here to my home office, which is a, a different dwelling on the property. I wanted to get away from the contractors. You got to have that escape room. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, Travis, tell our audience a little bit about your story, the parts that you'd like to hit. Um, it, you've got a very interesting bio for sure. Uh, yeah, I sure will. Right. And Mark, actually coming back to you, I fully agree, right? Like a, a component of success is establishing the proper habits, which are formed from discipline up front. What comes first, right? Like habits or discipline or disciplined and habits. I don't know. And truth be told, I, I find myself having that mental uh, almost argument every day on what habits am I reinforcing today? And here I am, however many years old I am, and I feel like I'm still battling to solidify what my habits need to be to drive me to the next level. So uh, my story, grew up in northern Idaho, joined the military, went into the Rangers, from the Rangers, went up to uh, Delta. Uh, one of the things I like to say, and at first it sounds like I'm beating my chest, but when you understand why I say this, you, you'll, you'll, you'll realize I'm not beating my chest, but I was the youngest E8 on the promotion list when I made the E8 list and, uh, then got out of the military, went into the civilian sector and did a whole bunch of different things there. Now, are you guys still getting me? Okay. Cause you're locking up. I don't know if that's my, we, we have, have great. yeah, we're hearing you. We're seeing you. I'm seeing you. Perfect. Yeah. Okay. No issues. Okay. Yeah. So, so then, uh, been over in the civilian sector and the commercial sector for about 13 years doing different things throughout SOCOM and JSOC and working on those different units. That's it in a nutshell. That, that's, yeah, that's it in a nutshell. You say, uh, as that resume could, uh, could wow the pretty much everybody in the world for what you do. So what, just, just, what, hold on, Brett. just for you guys out there in operation land, uh, JSOC is the top tier of special ops. So just so people know, that's Travis says it nonchalantly, but for the rest of us, we're all in awe. So, so Travis, what took you to the military and, and then kind of on through your career? What, what was your impetus to go in? And then, you know, we're going to, I'm sure I have some questions about that. What, what transferred from the military to the civilian sector for you? Yeah. I mean, it was just uh, all the way back to the lineage of my family. All the men have served, um, you know, since World War One, quite frankly. So uh, uh, it was just something I think was in my blood, something I was excited to do, wanted to do, serve the country. You know, there's all that patriotic stuff. But the reality is I just wanted to get in and do some cool stuff and go fight bad guys. <laughs> so family tradition and, and uh how you know, you, you went through a few different things looking at your bio from the military. What what made you decide to go into the Rangers? And then how did you escalate into the to Delta and things like that? that? That's not something that's common in the military, from my understanding. So I, I when I was in high school, I'd heard about the Rangers. I think we all knew the one um, uh, cadence <laughs> somehow in high school. I knew the famous Ranger Cadence, and uh, I couldn't swim, so I knew I wasn't going to be a SEAL. So, <laughs> yeah, so I went, went to the Rangers. What's interesting is I'd heard about this place when I was a young guy in, in Ranger Battalion. I'd heard about this place that you just, if dudes got picked up for it, I didn't really understand how to get there, and then you just kind of disappear, and, you know, those guys that disappear, and I was like, all right, um, whatever that is. 
And then I, I got to see some of the guys from that place on a training exercise. This was pre GWAT. And, uh, uh, one of them was a former 175 guy. And I was like, wow, what, like, what is this? Just started learning about it from there. And then, uh, you know, a little bit. And then, um, you know, I Blackhawk down, you know, Smalley had happened right when I was in basic training. I think I just dated myself there. But uh, I started putting two, two together. And then I thought, okay, well, cool, man. Like, those, so those dudes are the ones out front leading the charge. I want to see what, see what it takes to get up there. So I tried out when I was 23 little too immature, too much piss and vinegar. I passed, but they said, Hey, why don't you, uh, let's go back to range battalion and grow up a little bit. And to me, you know, like that's almost an oxymoron, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> went back to range battalion, spent uh, about a year and a half growing up a little bit, went back up to selection. I just had to reboard. And, um, the, the, in my, in my world, the infamous Gary Harrell, uh, now the late major general retired Gary Harrell, he was the squadron commander in, Somalia and he was the unit commander when I got to the unit uh when I first went through he personally told me you have too much piss and vinegar to be here you need to go back and chill out a little bit and I was like all right and when I went back up a while later my board was about five minutes long and he looked at me and he said good job on yourself welcome aboard and uh so you know he was one of the guys that kind of I guess you could say took a chance on me there's three three major leaders that took a chance on me in my career and each chance they took progressed me further and further. And, um, he was one of them. And so it was an honor, you know, years later with Ops Alliance companies up and running stuff that we're doing. He came on board and did some work with us several different times. And I really got to know him on a personal level and he is just a great guy. Unfortunately he passed, uh, and we laid him to rest about four weeks ago from brain cancer. Sorry. Mm, um, Sal or Mark, go ahead, jump in. Yeah, I, I, Travis, I want to ask this question because, <clears throat> you know, the goal of our, there's Bill. Bill, this is Travis. Um, Travis, the question I have, and this is something that we really try to, we really try to highlight is everybody faces adversity. Everybody faces a challenge. Everybody is going to be knocked down sooner or later. But what you do after that is the big deal. So to me, um, I don't know if I would have had the strength you did when they said, go grow up. I'd probably have been like, screw you guys. You guys need to grow up. I'm grown up, which is an example of my immaturity. But how, like, how, how did that affect you? Like what, I mean, because clearly you could have said, screw you guys. I'm not even going to worry about it. But you didn't. You went back, you did what you had to do, and then it, it progressed you into the next segue of your career. Like what, how did that affect you? And what did you do to overcome, like not feeling like you were slighted? Does that make sense? As far as when I wasn't selected the first time? Well, when they said, go back to Ranger Battalion yeah. and grow up. I mean, a lot yeah. of people would have said, okay, screw it. I'm not going back. I'm not trying it again. You know, yeah, like, no, that's, that's a great question. Um, so, so with me, I was young, married, and my, my son, my firstborn, was six months old at that point in time. And here's the deal. They point blank told me I was too big of an asshole to be in the unit. And my reply was, I thought I was supposed to be, you know, yeah. implied being full of piss and vinegar, specifically is what they said. And they said, yeah, you are if you want to stay in the regiment the rest of your life. And I went, oh, got it. And when I walked out of there, I, I don't think there were many times in my life my, uh, my confidence, which was very immature at that point, 
I don't think there's many times in my life where my confidence had felt so beaten down because the guys that you aspire to be amongst, the guys that, you know, heroes out of the story, you know, from from, from Black Hawk down, but the, the one organization that has been your longstanding goal for years now, you're like, this is where I want to be. If I And you you believe that if you don't get there, there, there's nothing else worth doing, right? And when they look at you and say, you're, you're too full of piss and vinegar to be here, go home and grow up. It was tough. Uh, and like I said, I was, I was 23. I was super immature. But I told my 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 wife then uh, when I got so, so it, it would this is this is interesting. I'm think all this stuff's coming back. I haven't thought about this in a long time. <clears throat> I'd been home for about a week and a half, and she looks at me and she goes, "What did they do to you up there?" And I said, "Well, what do you mean?" She goes, "You've been home for almost two weeks, and you've hardly spoken a word." And, and I remember like I got choked up. And I looked at her and I said, I have never been so embarrassed for you to be married to me. And my my son was six months old, you know, crawling around. I looked at him and I was like, he is not going to grow up to be like me. And so, you know, I, I you know, I realized, man, I, I need to change. They, what, what had happened was they stuck a mirror in front of my face. And I was not only did I not like what I had seen, I was ashamed at what I'd seen. Uh, so that was like the first real phase of me taking a heavy dose of reality from the reflection in the mirror throughout the journey of my life, you know, the next 25 years and what I was setting off to do. Uh, but you know, that was the big one for me. Like, how did I take that? I realized, okay, this hurts, but what's going to hurt more is staying an asshole it is, is staying where I'm at and not figuring out what I need to change in myself so that I can move on and progress on. Does that make sense? Makes yeah, sense the world. It, it's crazy absolutely. when, uh, when we get to see ourselves the way other people see us, right? Instead yeah. of the instead of the vision that we have. So that said, uh, my question to you right now would be, um, so now that you've seen, you saw yourself at that moment in time, what changes did you make immediately? Like what was the first thing you did to say, all right, I, I want to be, I want to be different. I want to be something that my wife's not ashamed of. <laughs> The, the biggest thing was I was scared of my son growing up to be like me. Yeah. So, you know, it was pretty extreme. Like I quit cussing. I started going to church. I quit drinking. I quit chewing. Like I stopped being the obnoxious ranger. Um, now, granted, years later, when I, after I moved to Vegas to start another business endeavor, I started that whole cussing thing up again. <laughs> but I did a pretty darn good job of putting all that stuff on Ranger Battalion. Uh, so you know, that's, that's the thing. I just didn't want my kid to, be, to grow up to be like me. That's an awesome uh, transformation story right there. Bill, do you have a question? If not, I'm going to keep plugging. Keep plugging. I'm catching up. All right. So, Travis, you, you touched on something really important, and I, I think all of us in here really appreciate the comment. You looked in the mirror, and a lot of people that listen to our podcast are business owners. And a lot of times, and, and Bill and Brett can tell you, is like they always say, well, I don't know why my business isn't working or this keeps failing. And and I know Brett and Bill are very big business coaches. And um, and the first thing they say is, what are you doing? You know, what are you personally doing um, and what what needs to change? And so I think that's a that's a really strong point that not everybody has the strength or the internal fortitude to look in the mirror and say, okay, I got to make a change. Um, 
and this is more of a commentary than question, but clearly you've had multiple businesses that have been successful. And then the fact that you went over on the other side of the fence, I mean, that to me is, is incredible. So I applaud you for that. I mean, that's, that's an incredible change. Or incredible. Yeah. Oh, I appreciate that. You, you know, so like kind of at the same time, a parallel is that something that I have, you know, when you get to sticking points for me, when I've got the sticking points in life and business, I get when I get frustrated with something and it's ongoing and it, it, it's difficult. Right. Because so two things I'll start off with this and hopefully I don't I don't distract myself and get back on track. Uh, so many people think they have shit figured out. Are we allowed to cuss on this podcast? Because some Tony Robbins says it's OK sometimes. So, you know, fuck yeah, this, this is Rob. Be who you want to be. So. People you think you got your shit figured out in life. What's that, Brett? You can even chew and swear, whatever. All right, man. So it's interesting when you get in conversations with people and they talk about, oh, this person, that, and that person, this, and these people don't get it figured out, and this and that. And you sit back and you're looking at those people and you're like, you don't even know what to say. You probably just need to keep your mouth shut. But you're thinking about, you know, John's over here giving his opinion about all these different people. And you're like, dude, what like you're a total hypocrite and you don't even mean to be right now right and then but what's what's terrible is when you see that a couple of different times and all of a sudden you go oh my gosh and you look in the mirror and you think what what am i missing what am i not getting that i think i'm getting and that's where any momentum i've felt like i think i've had in a certain area of my life comes to a screeching halt and it almost shatters my my confidence level because then you start questioning shit have i been overconfident in this field have i been overconfident in that perspective and, and you start questioning yourself a little bit and then that's where the confidence comes into balance because you start quite you, you got to question you have to ask questions to keep excuse me to keep yourself in check and to keep a good uh you know keep your situational awareness on track but the problem is when they go from asking questions to question yourself, that's where you start to challenge the confidence. Okay, but what's confidence? Well, confidence is that thing that you have to have in order to progress because life is going to constantly be throwing stuff at you. Life's going to constantly be, you know, kicking you in the teeth. And without confidence, you're not going to move forward or, or be able to move forward. However, the challenge with confidence is if you have too much confidence, then you start coming full circle and you start to be that individual that's in that seat where people are going, man, this fucking guy thinks he's got to figure it out and he has no clue. And at the end of the day, it all comes down to people fail to look in the mirror. And for me, you know, you, you want to talk about a subject that can get that, that gets me right to the core. Uh, when I feel like my fuck ups affect other people when other people suffer because of something that I'm missing or something that I don't get. So you've got on one hand, you get out of this confidence to keep moving forward and just, you know, stick it out through the fights. You get, you know, knocked down, you got to get back up, right? All that stuff, you know, all the Rocky sayings and cliches that are quite frankly, they're true. But when you, you get overconfident, you forget about the mirror. And that's the challenge is if you fail to look in the mirror, and, and that's why I, I have very little patience for people that don't want to look in the mirror because it's not fucking about you. It's about everybody else in your wake that will suffer if you don't fix your shit. They're very well said. I love it, dude. I love it. I was having that conversation with myself the other day. It's like, what are you not? 
because I wanted to, I'm working on some a project and I was just like, what are you not doing? What are you not being? Who you're not being for others? I had to work through those questions, right? So I, for what you're saying, it really resonates with me. So thank you. But I think Bill's got a real question here. So <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not a real question. Hey, Travis, uh, thanks for having you on the show, um, catching up a little bit. But I really appreciate like the 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 topic of where you start where we're talking about looking in the mirror. Um, you know, for me, that was kind of a big pivotal point in my career, post my Olympic career. Um, and, and, and actually that's what brought me to Brett, Sal and Mark is, um, long story short, I, I, I actually looked in the mirror and I, for the first time had a conversation with this other dude, I thought I knew, um, but I really didn't know who this guy was. Um, so it was super powerful practice for me. And it's a practice I utilize all the time that anytime stuff goes shitty or South in my life, instead of being like the victim mentality, what most people do and start trying to figure out blaming this person and blaming that person. I always look to myself first to try and figure out what the solution is. But, you know, and then on the conversation of, of confidence, right, there's, there's a good amount of confidence and then there's too much confidence. And I, I would say that a lot of the world has almost false too much confidence. And, and what I mean by that, you have a lot of people out there trying to do stuff, but in reality, they don't have the confidence. So they have this imposter syndrome of confidence, if you will. And they go through life just not doing the stuff they'd want to do. So my, my question for you is, what would you say to people that pretend like they have the confidence, but they're not really achieving what they want to do? Like, what would your advice be for them? And because I love how, how gritty you are to the core, because I'm the same way with like people I work with, like no bullshit, like this get real. So, you know, what would you say to those people that are kind of imposter syndrome? Not that they're doing it on purpose, but they just don't know what the hell they're doing. That, yeah, that's a million dollar question. I'll start off by responding uh, with this here, Bill. So, you know, you've heard every, every one of us has heard these saying, fake it till you make it, right? Like if you don't have something, just pretend you do. And, you, you know, if you lack confidence, pretend you got confidence, you'll build confidence. Well, it's, it's not necessarily true. Um, in my experience, the difference between confidence and arrogance is insecurity. And interestingly enough, General Gary Harrell was, I just had this conversation three weeks ago in a, in a very deep site conversation I've, I was having with a, uh, a site coach. And I told her, I said, for the first time, I really understand what ultimate confidence is. It's ultimate confidence coincides perfectly with ultimate humility. And the person that has ultimate confidence never has to remind themselves of it because they're probably consistently. And I was just getting ready to say, they're probably consistently reminding themselves of the importance of humility. But uh, uh, even above that, if you're, if you're organically humble, you, you don't even have to remind yourself of that. And, okay. So in my opinion, for what I saw, General Harrell was probably one of the best um, examples of this. And I say that because there were times he was working for us on a program. You know, he was he was replicating a TSOC commander in a big exercise. And he called me every day. And, and Sal, you know, like I'm not a micromanager. Quite frankly, I don't even want to manage anything. Uh, I just want to put the people together and let them figure it out. And I just want to come in and have fun and hang out with everybody. Right. And bullshit like. People start asking me for, you know, operational feedback. I'm like, man, my, the gears are grinding up here. I really don't want to get in operations. 
so my point is, is I, I didn't tell him to call me, but he would call me at least once a day to give me feedback on, on things and to just kind of update me. And there's a couple of times he'd even ask me questions. And I was like, sure, you're General Harrell. Like, wh why, <laughs> why are you asking me this? And I, I remember reflecting back on those conversations in person and on the phone. And he was just so incredibly humble. And it wasn't that he lacked confidence in asking questions. It was, in his mind, he was never the general. He was just another team player. And he wanted to ensure he was synced up with the rest of the team. So he'd make a simple phone call. But when that guy walked in, he was full of so much love when he walked into any room and so much energy and he projected just humility to everybody, love, good energy. And, you know, I was talking with his wife on the phone a couple of weeks ago and I said, I hope that is something that I can figure out quickly that I can carry on from his legacy. The dude had amazing confidence that was always paralleled with humility. And, and again, the difference, so coming back, Bill, the difference between confidence and overconfidence, confidence is organic. That's accompanied by humility. Overconfidence starts getting into arrogance. And arrogance, instead of being accompanied by humility, is always accompanied by insecurity. And those are the ones you got to watch out for. And I was thinking about this, you know, a little while ago, I was about jotting some notes down on something. You can't fake confidence, not with real people of confidence, because though you may you may be able to walk into a room and people are like, OK, that, that person's confident. But when you start to engage with them, if you and, and stay with me, because I'm going to I'm going to drive the I'm going to drive the, uh, the the point home here at the at the end of what I'm saying. But if you don't have real confidence, when you engage with somebody that does have organic, humble confidence, they're going to eat your lunch in a conversation. And I don't mean directly because a real confident person, they don't, they're just not going to, they're not going to do that. That's not what they, that's not what their MO is. But the only way, and here's where I'm going. The only way to build true confidence is to get out in life and get the shit beat out of you and to learn from your mistakes and to learn how to pick yourself back up and to make so, and to screw up so much and be chastised so much that eventually your ego disappears. You're like, fuck, I don't have an issue saying I'm wrong. I don't have an issue saying I screwed up. I've got a lot of practice of fucking stuff up, right? So he he was that way. And and, and that was a huge takeaway I have from him. But you, you couldn't fake confidence with a guy like that because his conversation would turn awkward by the faker, not by him because he didn't care. He, he was never trying to prove anything to anybody. He just wanted to talk. But if you couldn't hold comfortable eye contact with them, if you couldn't just laugh with them because you weren't trying to think of the next thing to say because you're faking the confidence, right? If you couldn't do that, the conversation would deteriorate and get awkward. And I watched that happen with him with other people. Did that, in a real long-winded sense, address your question? Yeah, no, that really, that actually hits the nail on the head. I mean, through one of my mentors, um, I also learned. And I, I've, I've been in those conversations several times too and watched that. And you're just like, Oh man, I feel so bad for that person. But um, you know, one of our mentors that Brett knows well that he learned from someone else said that um, this quote: "Men speak because they have something to say. Fools speak because they feel like they have to say something." Right? Yeah. So yeah, no, you hit it on the nail. You hit it right. Perfect. Thank you. So Bill, I don't, I don't know if you caught, but I think, correct me if I'm wrong, Travis, General Harold was the command grounder, the ground force commander in Black Hawk Down. Correct. Yeah, yeah he was a C-Squadron commander. 
C Squadron Commander for Small A. Eventually, he was the commander of the, of the unit of Delta. And then when he retired, he was the uh, uh, SOC Sent Commander. Actually, when he retired, he was the deputy commander, the deputy USASOC commander. Before that, he was a SOC Sent Commander. Those are the varsity boys, Bill. <laughs> so, Travis, I'm sorry to uh, bring back to that. That I wrote that down. The difference between confidence and arrogance is insecurity. And you're attributing that quote to Commander Harold. Is that a documented quote anywhere? I'd like to be able to to reference the source when I when I use this. What I'm sorry, Mark. What's your question? Is, is there a documented like did he say that in a speech or in a letter or is that something he said to you personally? Oh no, me personally, just in conversations. Would you be so kind as to send me a, an email at the end of this podcast with that, just so I get it right? Because sure. I'm I have I, I collect. I'm a collector of quotes, but I always like to make sure that I have them attributed to the right person at the right time. Yeah. And, and honestly, it wasn't so much something he said. It was something that he did. And I, I kind of picked up on it just watching the guy. You know? Well, I mean, a, a quote is a, we speak louder with our actions than we do with our words. So it's yeah, still yeah, cool. yeah. Yep. 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 For sure. Cool. Does anybody else have a question before I jump in? I want to ask Travis a question. I do, but go ahead, Mark. All right. Sorry, Brett. Um, so in the mountaineering world, I don't know if you read about any of our backgrounds or anything, so you know where I'm coming from. With this okay, yes. In the mountaineering world, as a mountain guide, I've, I've often said um, to the various people that you know are, are, are on a trip, I always say self-rescue is the best rescue. A, one, would you agree with that? And two, what are you doing every day to prepare yourself to self-rescue from any incident that you might be involved in? So I don't have a solid response. Is self-rescue the best kind of rescue? I, I don't know. I think it can be. I think it many times it should be because along with self-rescue means uh, two things. One, nobody's coming to save you, so you better get your shit figured out for yourself. But two, yeah. hopefully if you're self-rescuing, it means you're having an in-the-mirror moment. Uh, but there's some people... You know, the flip side of that 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 thought process, and again, thought process, not answer mark, but the, the flip side of that thought process is a lot of times people try to solve their own problems they created. Well, the problem with that is this, the the, the paradigm, the mindset, the mental disposition, the, th the thought process, whatever, that created the issue generally, not always, but generally can't create the solution, can't determine the solution, or it would have created the issue to begin with. Now, that's not always the case, but you see a lot of people that are constantly like trying to figure their own stuff out. And, and though that stuff's important, they don't ask questions is where I'm going. They 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 fail to ask questions. Now, granted, self-rescue also includes being somebody that's humble enough, smart enough, um, tenacious enough to stay in the fight and to go seek help or to go seek feedback or to go find mentors or to go, or to be a good protege. And, and through your information gathering and through your trial and error, you eventually get your shit figured out, right? So it depends how you look at that. But nonetheless, I think if self-rescue involves a good aha in the moment uh, opportunity because you have good situational awareness, those are typically the times when the point's driven home the most. It, it, it has been for me. But the flip side of that too, though, is – I think what's not even the flip side, but at the same point, when we this goes back to what we were kind of talking about earlier, and that is for, for me, when I get really frustrated with things, with people, with myself, with a situation, with whatever the case may be, 
my aha in the in in the moment my in the moment aha moment of looking in the mirror typically makes me take a deep breath and a deep frustration i challenge myself with what the fuck am i not figuring out here because you know and i don't want to go down this path too much but man where does this start as generic as it sounds, life's what we make of it. Uh, what does that mean? What that means is whether something is good or something is bad, generally is because we have assigned that thought to it, which goes on with emotions, right? There's no right. situation in the world that has an emotion tied to it. That's why all six of us here, five of us, however many of us, six, five of us. Oh, I'm the fifth one. Okay. So all five of us here can see a situation and we all have a different perspective because we've all assigned a different emotion, whether it's a subconscious reaction or a conscious response to it. We've all assigned something different to it. Well, what we assign to it is based off two things. One, you know, past trauma, past experiences. And so the way that we, you know, we've wired ourselves systematically and physiologically, but it also is a conscious choice. Attitude is a conscious choice. And so, you know, my, my point with that is a lot of people it comes back to looking in the mirror, Mark. A lot of people fail to first start with themselves when a problem presents itself. And so many people have the fucking blame other people or other events on it. And instead, trying to control the one effing thing in the world they can control, which is themselves, people fail at that. Yeah, true that. Boom. <clears throat> if, if you had a mic, Travis, you could drop it now. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know what? Let's go. Let's go a step further, if I may. Please. He, here's the next level. <clears throat> this part's a little sentimental for me, so I'll do the best I can to stay. Here's the next level of trying to figure some shit out that I'm going through. So business has been great. Uh, seven years ago-ish, I was a million dollars in debt. I was the only person at executive level in the companies. That's my fault more than anybody's, but I tried some different people out. They'd failed. I had a partner in another, another endeavor. He has had an absolute meltdown, nuclear meltdown, in my opinion, when this other endeavor got started off roughly. Uh, he had a nuclear meltdown and went into panic mode. And I looked at him. I said, right now, you have done an amazing job of creating absolute fear throughout the staff and everybody fucking hates you. So if, if this is going to, if this is going to, if this company is going to make it, it's going to be up to me now because you just had a meltdown. You need to leave. When I said that, I meant like you need to leave the office type thing. He literally packed the shit up and left the state. I never, I've never seen him since. And he was a partner. Uh, yeah. So, you know, it was, it was pretty tough, but my point is, is I, I was the only person trying to run two companies at that point in time that had executive authority, had some great PMs and some, you know, great different, you know, levels of managers, but as the only person, had executive authority and it was all my money in these companies and uh i didn't have any i was i was a million dollars in debt there were times when i had a uh i just wanted to go home and disappear into a movie and i'd stop at Redbox, and my credit card was declined at Redbox. all of them there were two times you want a, a moment of humility not once but twice i went to walmart to go grocery shopping i didn't have enough money for just my own groceries i was living alone at this point in time i was a geographical bachelor I was trying to start this other company up in Vegas. And so uh, I, not once, but twice, my credit card was declined. And I had a grocery cart full of groceries just for me, just trying to feed myself. 
uh, you know, family that, you know, they, they were getting money, but my personal money, I didn't have enough money to buy groceries. And I'm standing there looking at a Walmart clerk and I'm like, I guess I'll go put my groceries back. And it was so awkward and they felt so sorry for me both times. She's like, Hey, I'll take care of it. And you know, late at night, you're walking out of Walmart thinking, Holy fuck. I can't even afford food for myself. I've got to make payroll coming up. I, you know, cause like, I had this conversation with somebody else several years ago and I was kind of telling this story and they said, yeah, yeah, I, I know what you mean. And, and I thinking about it, I was like, no, no, you don't. Cause when money gets tight for most people, they just got to wait till the next paycheck. I didn't have a paycheck. Not only did I not have a paycheck, I had to figure out all the money to come in, but I also had payroll to make. Now, praise God, we've never missed a payroll. Right. But anyway, coming back on track, I'm a million dollars in debt and now life is good. My wife and I are, are very blessed, uh, you know, business-wise, love-wise, this and that. But I said all that to get up to this point. So, so through all of that, here's where I'm at now. So on August 4th, I was diagnosed with stage four cancer. And that rocked our, our world. The very next week, I had a chest port medically inserted. The week after that, I started uh, my treatment, chemotherapy and immunotherapy. And the doc told me point blank when I was diagnosed and he read my PET scan. He said, we got a lot of work to do, meaning it was a form of lymphoma. And when I saw the PET scan, it was spooky. It was everywhere. Every lymph node, my spleen, my abdomen, everything was just glowing. So fast forward, mid-December, they wanted to do a progress PET scan just to see how my body was taking to the treatment so they could determine the way ahead. And I was, I was projected to spend at least the next two plus years through different forms of treatment. I went back in the next day after my treatment, stay with me here, the next day after my or after my PET scan, the oncologist himself walks in and I'm like, oh, boy, this isn't good. Normally, the nurse comes in and gives you the updates and the doctor's notes. It's him himself. And I'm like, oh, oh boy. He walks in. He said, Travis, th there is no form. There is no trace of detectable cancer anywhere inside your body. I went from stage four to nothing. In four months. And I remember, you know, after the tears got done, uh, you know, I spent a couple seconds there trying to gather myself and he just shrugged. He's like, I don't know what to tell you. Uh, but it probably didn't take more than about three minutes of back and forth at the dock and excitement all of a sudden. And I, I told all of this story to come to this point right here. Here's where I'm at now. Am I struggling in life right now of my next phase of holy shit? How do I figure this out? And I believe my wife and I both believe that the reason, despite everything that we're doing as healthy as we are, we got slammed with stage four cancer in the infamous words of my friend, Will Nielsen, who had stage four cancer for uh, 10 years ago and got through it. I was confident in the diagnosis. I wasn't worried about dying. I just believed. And again, I got this from my friend, Will Nielsen. My wife and I came to terms with very quickly early on in my diagnosis. God needs us to, to learn something. There's something God needs us to be better in so that when we get through this, he can he can count on us to help others through a similar process. Right. So I was like, all right, cool. We, okay, let's do this, God. So four months later, nothing. All of that say this. Here's where I'm at right now. Holy shit that I learned everything God needs me to learn. Because I, I uh, coming back to my breakfast this morning, Mark, I didn't eat what I would have eaten three months ago when I thought I still had stage four cancer. Right. I would have been more disciplined, which means the one word, and Sal knows because he's, he's worked for us, you know, he hears me talk about this stuff. The one word that fucking kills people is complacency. 
That's the word that will destroy discipline. That's the word that will destroy the habits before they're even formed is complacency. And, you know, I'm struggling right now with wondering, God gave me a gift to quickly learn from something. If I had the maturity and the discipline, the emotional maturity and the discipline to learn from this. Hey, Trav, four months. There you go. You got it. Now get your shit together and be an example. Because what he could have done was he could have drugged this out for the two and a half years that they suspected I was going to be in treatment to beat all of this. Because a, a good habit takes time, right? A good habit takes time to form from people that lack the discipline and emotional maturity to form it up front. So God gave me the opportunity to be disciplined and display emotional maturity to get it formed quickly. You got four months to figure this shit out. I can drag out your misery for two and a half years if you want. That'll form a fucking habit. Or I'll give you a scare for four months. Fix your shit, Travis, to go be an example for others. And, uh, you know, Mark, as, as juvenile and as little as it sounds, when I got that eating this morning, I was like, it was semi-healthy. It's not what I would have eaten three months ago. Right? It's all these little things. So that's where I'm at now. That's the struggle I'm at now is being the man that God needed me to be when I came out of this. And I feel like I'm already, I'm already that dude that's like, oh yeah, I crushed. Coming, it's interesting all this tying together. Coming back to confidence, false confidence is always is always paralleled by by insecurity, right? Arrogant, false confidence is arrogance, always paralleled by by insecurity. Well, I would be a fool to slap down beat stage four cancer in four months on my resume as if I'm the one that did it. I would be a fool. It was a gift, but I'm not treating it like a gift right now because I'm lacking the discipline and execution that I should be portraying every day. And I'm not. So that's, that's where I'm at right now in life, trying to get this stuff figured out a little bit and, and, and you know, take the gift from God instead of, all right, because you know, what do you do the Israelites 40 years? They couldn't get their shit figured out. Take another lot, fuckers, right? That's kind of sacrilegious for me to cuss at the same time I'm talking about scriptures. But I, I don't want this stuff to come back. And, and here's the unfortunate part. I have the one form of lymphoma that is treatable, not curable. So it's, it's you know, every three months I've got to get blood work done, just kind of waiting. But at this point, I, I've got a front row seat to my own course of action, to my own direction in life. And I'm struggling with looking in the mirror right now. Keep being complacent, fucker. God's going to put you back in that front row seat. We make our own choices. That um, is oh. a pretty raw story, Travis. Thanks for sharing that. Obviously, it's close to you, right? But that's the epitome of self-rescue is the best rescue. You did something about Amen. it. So, yeah. Travis... Uh, this is, I told these guys that we want you on here, and this is why Travis gave a similar speech to soldiers, our ex military people, in a meeting one day. Um, it choked me up, and it's choking me up now because there's a lot of dudes that are doing the blame game with alcohol, drugs, and everything else. And when it comes down to it, it's like, look in the mirror and see what you're doing. Um, it was a powerful speech then and it is now. So Travis, you're awesome. I can't thank you enough. Your message needs to be heard by everybody. It really does. Um, it, I appreciate it. 
it embodies humility to its top level. So I'm going to shut up, but I really do appreciate you being here, bro. Hey, Travis, could you share with our listeners how your philosophy that you just shared with us so wonderfully and powerfully, how that's equated to your current success? You obviously went from, you know, some pretty deep lows, and now you're experiencing some pretty high highs, at least we'll just say on the business level at the moment, right? Um, as well as personally, of course, but I guess what I'm trying to ask is what are the what are the habits that really carried you out of the lows into the highs? Could you it would just is there a thing, a couple things that you really point to that, yeah. that is that does that make sense? It sure does, and I got it for you. Okay. Uh, asking this. So I'm gonna preface it with Will Smith. And when I say that, I'm sure you know you guys are like what? Read his book. Yeah, I know, right? Hey, whatever. Well, we don't know what Will is going through at that point in time. Not a good decision, but whatever, right? Like, yeah. fuck, somebody's talking about my wife, I'd probably fucking smack him too. But anyway, <laughs> so read his book. My wife and I listened to his book. That dude has been through a journey of ups and downs, trial and error, adversity, and sticking it out. And Will Smith, whether you like the guy or not, he's wicked successful, and he's had a big impact, a positive impact on a lot of people in this world, Right. He made a comment one time that resonates with me. I may not be the smartest student in the room, but I will outwork anybody that steps next to me. And so for me, and it's like, for, you know, for those of us in military style, like what do you, what do you talk about when you put a bad round down range or you have a uh, um, uh, malfunction or something like that, right? Correcting it back in the fight, staying in the fight. And for me, the one thing is I have always had an insane work ethic and I've just continued to move forward. And, and as I've gotten the shit beat out of me, I have been more and more humble with looking in the mirror and asking myself, what am I not getting figured out? And I will tell you my young son, who's 24 right now is running his own marketing firm and he's doing well. He, he's doing very well for himself. And two and a half years ago, when he was finally thinking about stepping off on his own, because my son had a front row seat to a lot of my commerce uh, failures, <laughs> bad decisions with people and life and business with money and business. Did I say business? Yeah, I saw a lot of that. Two and a half years ago, he was thinking about stepping off on his own and he was he was broke and he was really excited about these two accounts he's getting ready to get. Right. You guys will love this. He's getting ready. He, he thought he's going to land these two accounts, these first two accounts to to kick off his own little business. And um, both accounts fell through the same week. Both of them told him no. And that weekend, he sent me a screenshot of his checking account. It was, and he didn't have a job at that point in time. He had some money saved up from some other stuff. And he was li living, you know, on peanuts, trying to make his money last, hoping he's getting ready to land some accounts to get some business coming in. He sent me a screenshot of his checking account and he was $50, $50 overdrawn. He was flat broke and he had a decision and nothing like, look, there are some really great jobs out there. Don't get me wrong. That's not what my son wanted. His dream was he wanted to start his own business. He wanted to build his own team of people. He wanted to be a positive impact on them and go make an impact on other people with, you know, with his line of work. And I remember looking and I was so scared for him at that moment in time, not because he was $50 overdrawn. He'd go get the money somewhere. I was so scared for him because I was like, now he's now he is about to test his resolve. 
and this is where he is, you know, two and a half years later, he's, he's making good money. He's got people working for him and he's, he's high on life right now. So that was, that was me was, I may not be the smartest, but I've got a sick work ethic. I kept moving forward and I asked a lot of questions, which takes back to my son. He asks a sick amount of questions. He is always asking questions. So that's the big difference between people who say, oh, I'm always learning in life. Really? Because you never fucking ask any questions. True. Yeah. It, it's uh, Your story is just outstanding. I, I mean, I don't know what it's like to be a million dollars in debt. I do know what it's like to be a half a million dollars in debt and not know how you're going to make it. It's scary. <laughs> I know that. And you got to generate it, you know, from somewhere and having to come back and, and figure that out. Because Yeah. I haven't had a job in 27 years. I've worked for myself. Uh, so um, your your story, it just hits home with me. So thank you. Um, where did you, when did you realize that you had a, a, a talent for taking your mil, I'll say your military training and transferring into the civilian world. Was there, was there something that really all of a sudden hit home with you and you, an aha moment, a, 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 something like that? I found most people do. They have that moment. Question. That's a really good question. And it, it pains me because I see a lot of guys get out of the military and they, they accomplish, like they're not just, you know, checking the block in the military. Like dudes accomplish stuff. They get in these special ops units. They get, go through all these schools that, you know, they get a, they get a degree while they're in the military. Like dude, they're accomplishing stuff, but it's less about what they've accomplished. And it's more about what they did to make it through those feats and the principles learned. Okay. Let me clean that up a little bit. To date, I still apply principles that I learned in the military that I didn't realize I learned them in the military. Stuff happened to me in the military and I hardly even gave it two thoughts. Like, you know, there's was one time in Afghanistan, I had some something happen when we're, uh, I was up in Tora Bora. There was something that happened in Tora Bora. It meant nothing to me then, but my brain grabbed it. And 10 years later in business, I remember the principle of that situation. I had an aha moment with it in the application of, being an adult in business now. So, so my point is I see a lot of guys get out and I'm disappointed because they're like, yeah, I did it. Yeah. Now I'm going to go, you know, phase two of life. And they kind of, what I refer to is they become a horse out in pasture, which is okay. But it's like, dude, now you're really ready to get started. You have learned so many principles and you've been through such a ringer and in, in, in combat and seeing all the you know politically correct bullshit that goes on being in the military and the government and all this stuff, right? Like you've seen because some of the best adults are the ones that had shitty parents. Some, some of them continue the, the generational curse, right? But some of the best adults are the ones that grew up and they go, Well, I know how I'm not gonna be. They learn the lessons and go the other direction. Well, there's a lot of guys in the military that way too. They've got great things they can take out or gals, right? Or stuff that they saw. That is a fucking horrible example of leadership. You've been through all this stuff. You can come out and apply something now and, and they don't. And it's it's kind of heartbreaking. But for the ones that do and, the, and the, the chains come off of them when they're out of the military and they're in the commercial sector now, like I've seen some some, you know, some really cool examples there of people have done that. And I think I, that one of those I, I was one of those individuals where it was more about the principles that I learned. Uh, than it was about the, the strategies, if you will. Does, does that make sense, Brett? Mm -hmm. Okay. So that was that was the difference for me. I'll tell you one of the things, takeaway, and this ties into Sal. If you remember when we were out there in Texas at one of those last programs you were on, talked about the guys. 
So the military and unfortunately lately the special ops community has been hit heavy with suicides. And so I went from your guys' program right to one uh, down at Fort Benning on another program that had a, kind of a different um, different pedigree, if you will, of, of team members on it. And so I got two very different thought pro, uh, pro, two different thought processes on this. But when I was out with you guys, here's one of the things that I hit on and talking with all of our different teams. So the key to success also equates to the key to mental health, also equates to the key to, to let's talk about suicide. Here's my quick question. Every one of us, unfortunately, knows at least one person, probably at least one person that's taken their own life, correct? Mm -hmm. Unfortunately. If you would have hit them up six months, 12 months, 24 months before they took their own life and said, do you think you could ever kill yourself? What do you think they would have said? Probably no. Not, not me. I'll tell you a, a real wicked one. In 2002, there were four special ops guys all on Fort Bragg that killed their spouses. And then two of them killed themselves. It was a murder-suicide situation. One of those guys was on my team. And he was a great... God loving Christian guy, hardly ever drank, had his shit together. And my takeaway was this. If he could do it, I could do it. Because I guarantee if you asked him six months in advance, dude, do you think you can murder your wife? He would have been like, you nuts. How dare you ask me something like that? My point is we all have a human breaking side. Everybody's got a human breaking side. Coming back onto thought process, being prepared, humility, real humility is knowing that you're human and you could fail. So Sal, as we talked out in that program, what I told him is if you think you can't take your own life, you're at risk of taking your own life. It's just a matter of what it's going to take to push you to that level. The way you protect yourself from that is first off, understanding you're human, but secondly, knowing the answers to the test before the test questions are presented. My point is this, look, dude, if I know that could be me, then I need to I need to tell myself right up front. I need to recognize when I get to that that close to that breaking point. I already know the answer to the test is this: get help, communicate. Don't start su getting sucked down into a hole. Don't start get, you know don't don't start pulling within and and, and uh, you know separate myself from everybody and becoming a recluse because that only makes it worse. Now, granted, I'm not a psych. I'm not sitting here saying I have all the answers. But my point is simply this. Know the answers to the test questions before they're presented, and you've got a much higher likelihood of being successful. That's the epitome of self-rescue, Travis. Touche, then. Yep. Love it. Um, that, that's a great point. I, I want to I want to make sure we're respectful of Travis's time here. Is who's got a burning question they want to make sure they ask before we before we let him go? I, I just asked mine. <laughs> I, I think I've asked um, my my questions, uh, but I wanted to come back to that one. Um, I, I've written down several quotes here here from you, Travis, but I really, really, really like the two word quote that you gave, and I think that for me it wraps up pretty much everything you've said. Is uh, complacency kills. Mm hmm. Yeah, from, I, 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 when you were saying that, Travis, it just resonated with me. I used the word apathy. Apathy kills, but it's really the same same thing, right? You get apathetic about where you're at, and that's when that's when shit goes south. I know it does for me. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, for sure.
Sal, Bill? I, I just want to say thank you, Travis. When I heard you speak, I knew these guys would enjoy this conversation. So thank you again for taking the time to do this. Your message is powerful, and you really articulate the way you share it, and, and that's an important aspect uh, because some people have a great message, but they don't know how to share it. And again, thank you so much for that. Yeah, for sure. I hope it's able to make a difference. I appreciate your confidence, though, Sal. Yeah, no, it's it's real, man. It's real. I'm going to connect with you afterwards, Travis. Uh, so expect an email from me or or a chat because uh, a couple of the things you've said here, I'd like to include in the book I'm writing. Wow. Okay. Humble. Thanks, Mark. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> first off, thanks, Travis. Um, obviously, a lot of stuff you said resonates really well with me. I love your just direct communication, no bullshit attitude. That's I thrive in that space. Um, and then talking about like suicide, um, we didn't talk, we don't talk about it much on here, but I was one of the Olympians that everybody thought life was great. And in 2016, I attempted to take my life. Thankfully, I made it because now I have an opportunity to look back and 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 help you know whoever comes across my path with whatever, whatever it is that they got going on in life. But again, being prepared for those unknowns in life are, is a huge uh, success factor for everyone. So thank you. And thank you for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Yeah, indeed, Bill. Glad you're still here to share your story, man. Help others. Well, gentlemen, thank you. Brett, thank you, Travis. Anything you want to, you want to impart with our listeners before you go, before we sign off, I'm going to sign off and just, when you're done. When yeah. It's like, like we always say with it, with a company, be an asset, because if you're not an asset to others, to the situation, to yourself, you're automatically a liability. There, there is no in between. There's no, there, if you're not living, you're dying, right? If something's not living, then it's dying. There's no in between. And the gray men, gray women, you just equate to being, being a liability. So being at, be an asset one of the best ways to turn your day around when you're having a rough day, a friend of mine, Noble Gibbons, told me this 20 years ago. If you're having a bad day, go help somebody else's day get brighter, and, and it'll typically help your own, too. So be an asset. Absolutely. Well, thank you, everyone. Thank you, Travis, so much for being here and sharing your, your really powerful message. I know there's so much that resonated with me, as I'm sure with everybody, not only on this call, but that gets to hear this message. So... With that being said, uh, we're going to sign off. If you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, you can always drop us an email at info at operationlimitless.com. If you have somebody that you'd like us to interview or connect us with, we're open to those suggestions. And until next time, everybody have a limitless day. Amen. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Travis. Thanks, Travis. I hope you have